like this. And then make me a barrel and then type in 15 color copies. Or 15 black and whites. I don't care. Just Yep. On, at the, on the top. So actually it'll go, yeah. Yeah, it'll suck them in and then it'll spit other ones out at the bottom. Just do like black and white. That'll be fine. All right. All right. Glory to God. That was it. The button was off and you push it. That's what happens to me. I don't, I, for, I, I push the button, I open my door and they pop on and I go, Did, is that on? Is that off? I don't know. And then if I close my door, I got to sit there for like a minute and a half or three hours or something waiting for my timers to go off. So, anyways, uh, just for everybody's up, update, Derek is doing fantastic. He's doing so incredibly good. Um, I did not get to see him after his procedure because, um, you, yeah, <laughs> he didn't get out of surgery until 3 uh, because they were running about an hour behind. And then, um, thank you. Yep. And then, uh, so I handed him off to his sister, Felicia, who's with him right now. And uh, so she's kind of there until they kick her out, I think, or somewhere close to. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so I don't, it, I don't know. Things are changing every day with the hospitals. But in either case, um, he's doing fantastic. He actually has already gotten up. He's already walked around, which is fantastic. Um, they, he called me on the phone and said, thank you so much, and, and he sends his love to everybody. He said, please, please have a good church service. And then I'll go back in the morning, spend some time with them. If everything goes well, if everything goes like it's supposed to, and it will, we know it will because we've done prayed and believed, uh, but the way the doctor says it is if everything is like it, if everything goes perfectly, uh, he should be able to come home after lunch sometime tomorrow. Um, and then he'll probably spend about 24 hours uh, either at our house or a friend's of his house. Uh, just Doc said... 24, have somebody with him for about 24 hours close by in case he needs help. He said after that, just as much as he can do on his own, that's what he needs to do. He said, we believe in tough love. That's what the doctor said. So we said, praise Lord. Praise Lord. We know how to do tough love. So that's not a problem. And uh, so he's doing fantastically. And we knew he would because God's got him. And uh, so we're super excited about that. And then... Uh, so that was all done. And then Pastor Mike, the fire, uh, they are actually turning it back over to the district on uh, the last day for the Type 1 team is Friday. So on Saturday, they'll do all their final closeouts and their team stuff and what have you. And so Pastor Mike should be back in the pulpit with us on Sunday. Uh, so praise God. And uh, they did do some, if you hear about some fire activity today, that was intentional fire activity to tie off the lines and get the lines down to the creeks, uh, creek beds, just to make sure that should we get some drier weather and something should pop up, it just gives that extra line of protection. 
So that's um, everything going on with the fire. And uh, on that note, I think we're caught up. I think we're caught up. So everybody's doing good and and uh, super. Somebody asked me, you know, how was Derek before surgery? And I'm telling you what, I kind of looked at him and I said, are you really sure you're okay? And he said, yeah, actually, I am so, because his leg was shaking a little bit, and he was kind of laying back in the bed, just kind of had his eyes closed, his leg was shaking. And I said, Derek, are you sure you're okay? You're not kind of hiding shock on me here, are you? And he said, no. He started laughing. He said, no. He said, actually, I am super excited. Like, I am super, super excited, and I have a big piece. So I said, praise God. And then uh, after, the, after we talked to the doctor, the doctor said, man, he's doing incredible. So praise God. And uh, so just just so good to have God on our side, isn't it? And uh, we'll pray. We'll get into Galatians chapter 4. This is uh, part 8. And uh, we'll go in from there. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we just love you and we adore you. Father, we thank you for answered prayer requests. Father, we thank you that everything went so smoothly with um, Derek today, even if the day started off with a little bit of excitement. And, Father, we give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. Father, as we approach your word tonight, I ask that you think through my mind, speak through my lips, the very oracles of God. Father, use my tongue as that of the pen of the ready writer to declare your word. And, Father, prepare our hearts and our minds, our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, and our hearts to receive the word upon the good ground. And, Father, we give you all the honor and the glory and we thank you for wisdom, revelation, and knowledge in advance in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Let's do our confession. Yeah, you can just hold on to those. Just put them next to you and just hold on to them. And Because uh, we're not going to need those for just a little while yet. <laughs> That's fine. This is my Bible. I was ready before y'all were. Let's back up. Are we ready? Are we ready? This is my Bible. It is always true and the final authority. My Bible is God talking to me. I read this word daily. I meditate on this word day and night. This word is rooted and grounded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the Spirit. I am a child of God. I have the mind of Christ. God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's words are my words. God's actions are my actions. I am a doer of the Word. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Glory to God. Well, we're going to pick up in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up right here in verse 8. Well, verse 7 was the last verse we did last week. Remember, we've seen Paul, and through all three Galatians so far, and Paul has been um, dealing with the, with the New Testament church and, old Jew, and Jews who were trying to there were Jews who lived under the Jewish law, who lived under the Old Testament law all the days of their life. Jesus comes into play. Uh, Jesus dies on the cross. He does away with the law. Well, I shouldn't say does away with the law. He fulfills the law. And now we're no longer, now uh, instead of living according to the law, we live according to the Spirit. 
And uh, the Jews were having a really hard time with this. The Jews were having a really hard time with this. And so they would, they would um, send people in to the New Testament churches to act like new converts. And then those convert, those, those spies, uh, would go in and secretly try to get the new believers to come under the Old Testament Jewish law. And so Paul is explaining uh, to the church, um, he's explaining to, and, and here's what you have to understand, in the churches in Galatia, you had Romans, you had Gentiles, you had Jews, uh, you had all kind, you had Samaritans, you had all kinds of different cultural backgrounds all in one church. And so uh, Paul, even though Paul was sent to, by the Spirit, Paul was anointed by the Spirit to minister to the Gentiles, those outside of the covenant. Paul was a Roman uh, by countrymen. He was born in Rome. He was a citizen of Rome, but he was a Jew by uh, genetics. So he was raised Jewish, uh, but yet he was also Roman, um, and he grew up around all the Gentiles, so he understood pagan culture and things like that. And so while he's talking to what we call the Gentiles or those outside of the covenant, he's also talking to Jews. So he's talking to both Old Testament believers and he's talking to New Testament people um, who prior to coming into Christ used to worship pagan gods. Well, do we worship pagan gods today? Oh, yeah. Uh, no. Well, we do, actually. Uh, if you haven't told your children the truth, I'm sorry, uh, but Santa Claus is a pagan god. The Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, uh, and you know uh, the little the little Saint Patty's Leprechaun, uh, the Cupid, you know all those little characters, uh, Mother Nature, and all of those. Those are pagan, Father Time, all of those are pagan gods. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, uh, so those are all pagan gods. Here's some other pagan gods. Uh, uh, Halloween is a pagan Halloween, is a pagan holiday. Uh, believe it or not, we're coming upon Christmas. Um, and the Christians actually adopted where, Christ, where Christmas came from is the pagans had what they called winter solstice. They still have it today. Uh, and that's where they wish, worship the sun and the moon and all the, you know, earth, wind and fire and all that stuff. And they do their witchcraft and all of that. Well, that was there from, from Halloween to the end of the year, that was their high holiday season. And so what the Christians did, the converts did, is the converts took the, the, the symbols of their pagan worship and they used the symbols of their pagan worship to begin to teach them Christ, believe it or not. So they would worship the evergreen trees, and, they, and so the Christians would come along, and the Christians would teach the pagans about the true evergreen, the everlasting light of Christ. They would begin to teach them uh, about um, just different things, and, uh, they, and so they would, 
they would take what the pagans used to worship their gods and they would and they would teach them about the one true god that's why i love christmas christmas is the one time a year that you can actually uh, people are actually recept more receptive this time of year to receiving the gospel of christ than any other time but we're too busy listen we're too busy bowing down to political correctness going well they get their holiday too listen to me you're agreeing to them going to hell i'm not trying to be mean i'm not trying to be ugly so paul was and and paul very much so was saying to these new testament believers stop going after the law and in chapter three in the beginning part of chapter four we see that paul explains that we're no longer servants serving God under the Old Testament, under that slave type, not that we were. Under the Old Testament, you were a servant of God, which is a type of, is a type of slavery. But God was, um, uh, God's very, very good. And he's like, basically, if you will do what I tell you to do, then I'll be able to, then I will be able to. It's not a quid pro quo thing. It's like I had, God's like, I have all of this. I want to give you all of this. Everything belongs to you. But in order for you to obtain it, these are the things you, ha- you need to do so that the devil won't come steal everything type thing. It's a protection thing. Um, so instead of having that servant master or that slave master type relationship in the Old Testament, God said, no, we want to do better. And when Jesus came, we went from servant by choice. That's the difference. You know what the difference between a slave and a servant is? Choice. Choice. A servant go, it, it serves by choice. A slave serves because they don't have a choice. That's the difference. That is the difference. So we went from servant to God said, well, no, 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 we can do better. I'm not, I don't want servants. I want family i want children and through coming in through the blood of christ we get engrafted into the family of god we get engrafted in so in uh, chapter 4 galatians chapter 4 verse 7 it says wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son we've got a lot of ladies in here so we'll say it this way no more a servant but a child or a son or a daughter now here's the deal uh, if you're not sure if you're a son or a daughter, get in the privacy of your own home, drop your skivvies, look down at your equipment, and what you have is what you is. It's that simple. It's that simple. Uh, it's not, well, uh, uh, my equipment says girl, but today I feel like a boy. That's not how this works. No, no, no. That's not how this works. Wherefore, thou art no more servants but a son or a daughter, a child, and if a son, a daughter, a child, then an heir of God through Christ. So if we're now a child, then that means we're an heir. And if we're an heir, that means that everything that we have, everything, or actually, let me rephrase that. Everything that God has, we have. We are now to rule and reign on this earth as the God of this world through the name of Jesus Christ. Now, does that make us high and mighty and above God? No, because without God, we are absolutely nothing. 
but we're members of Christ. And how much do you know? If I, if I lay hands on the sick and I speak in the name of Jesus, uh, can my little pinky run away and go, no, I don't want to do that? No, it's attached, right? Well, if Jesus is going to heal the sick through us, then guess what? Then we operate just like, just like my pinky. I mean, I could go over here and stick my pinky on Jackie and, tell her to, and call her to be healed. But how much do you know? Uh, that's got just as much power as my whole hand. Because it's not the pinky or the hand. It's the power that backs it. And the power that backs it is the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. So we have to know, we have to understand, we have to learn that it's not about who we are. It's all about who he is. It's all about what we have in him, through him, by him. You know, those prepositions are very, very important. So Paul has been spending quite a bit of time trying to encourage us. There's so many in him scriptures uh, that we've passed through. Uh, and, and this one, of course, verse 7 is one of them. It says, uh, Wherefore thou art no more servants but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I read this one this way. Um, I am no more a servant but a daughter, and because I'm a daughter, I'm now an heir of God through Christ. I just make it personal. I'm just an heir. I'm an heir of Christ. Everything that belongs to Christ belongs to me. My God denies me nothing as long as I'm a doer of his word. So now Paul is going to shift, and you think, well, we're seven verses in. Why is he changing here? Well, because his letters were not written in chapters and verses. And I think that messes people up sometimes when they read the Bible. They think, oh, this is all one chapter. This all pertains. But very frequently when you're reading your Bible, there's a shift in subject in the middle of a chapter. The reason the chapters and the verses are there is just to make it easier for us to find a set scripture when we're looking for it. They're just points of reference is really all they are. So we've got to keep the letter in context. And the context is, is Paul, if you'll remember in chapter 2, or the tail end of chapter 1 and part of chapter 2, Paul was telling us about um, his travels. And remember he had traveled down into, uh, he had gone back down to Mount Sinai after he met Jesus. And he went back to, he, he walked where the, um, where the uh, Jews walked. You know, it took the Jews 40 years to make an 11-day journey. You know, so when you say, well, Paul went back and walked where the Jews walked, your mind immediately goes, wow, he spent 40 years in the desert. No, he wasn't stiff, hard-necked, and rebellious. He was following God, and he took an 11-day journey to, to get an understanding of God. I mean, he may have taken a little longer, but you get my point. And uh, that's going to come into play here in a few minutes. He said, if we get that far, I don't know that we'll get that far, but it does come into play. So verse 8, he says, How be it then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. So Paul asked them this, because now everybody in the church is supposed to be serving Jesus, right? Everybody's supposed to be serving Jesus. However, just like today, we've got people in the church that serve pagan gods. I mean, people sell out everything for, for Santa Claus to come. 
Uh, my sister had a friend uh, for years would always set up these great elaborate things to catch Santa Claus. And then the kids, you know, and he'd, you know, get out the boots and put out the footprints and all of this. And I thought, you know, at some point those kids are going to get smart enough to figure out this is not what you think it is. But he, I mean, he just, and, and, and if I remember correctly, there was a little bit of a, a little bit of a meltdown when the kids figured it out. A little bit of a meltdown. You know, and they've got the elf on the shelf now. How much do you know? The elf on the shelf is a pagan. Because little kids worship, where's he at? What's he doing? What's he got going on? You know, and I'm not being mean. If you do elf on the shelf, enjoy it. But tell your kids the truth. I mean, just come on. Let's be honest. Um, what are some other non-holiday pagans? Well, Frosty's another one. Uh, but if you go too far with it. Now, at the same time, Frosty's full of love. You can teach the love of Christ with Frosty. You can teach the acceptance of Christ with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I mean, yeah, you can teach Russell, I mean, you can teach all, you can teach all kinds of things. You, you know, the the candy cane. You can teach Christ with the candy cane. You know, you can teach you can teach uh, uh, the new life with the Easter egg. Don't be in. Don't make the mistake I made. I was in children's church, and the and the kids asked me. And they know Miss Robbie's always Miss Robbie will always tell you the truth, and if she don't have the truth, she'll find it. They knew that about me, and so they set me up in children's church. She was one of them, uh, and they said, Miss Robbie, Miss Robbie, what do Easter eggs have to do? What what is what does a bunny and eggs have to do with Jesus? And I said, you know, that's a good question. Let's find out where the Easter bunny and eggs came from. You know what I found out? So mess your head up. The Greek goddess of fertility, her spirit animal was a rabbit, and she would run around the city laying eggs, and they could find the egg. If they found one of the fertility god's eggs, that meant that the fertility god was going to bless them with a baby. We go out there teaching our kids to dress, to go get them Easter eggs. <sighs> Anyways, why don't y'all get me over here? I know why, because we're going to talk about this in a minute. Anyways. So, but what are some other pagan gods? I might need to get behind the pulpit. Uh, protect myself, shield myself. What about your sports? What about your TV? What about your video games? What about your job and got to make the money, got to make the money, got to make the money? What about your bed? Come on. You know that? Oh, I'll just, I'll just lay in the bed. I'll worship, I'm, I'm going to lay and worship my, you know, I'm going to lay before uh, you know, lay on the TV, lay on the bed, watch the TV, whatever. Come on, anything that you put before God can be a pagan god. Yeah, exercise, that's a big one. That's a big one. Big, 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 big. Exercise and sports, that's, those, those are huge ones. And uh, he said, how much, you know, he said, how be it when you were, when you knew not God did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. How much, you know, sports are not a god? Money is not a God. TV is not a God. Your recliner is not a God. Your hard work is not a God. Your perfect lawn is not a God. It's not. It's not. Your car being perfectly crisp and clean and perfectly shined and your wheels just, you know, glistening and all that's, come on. It's not a God. But people treat it like it is. 
people treated. You know, there's certain TV shows that I mean, oh man, my life has to come to an end. I got to be home and I got to see it the moment it premieres. I can't, I can't be late. Listen, how much you know you're paying service to those things? Well, guess what? This is nothing new. They had this problem in Paul's day. There were things that people that people worshipped that were not gods. And so the Paul is making the point. Paul said, listen, you're going to worship something. I don't care who you are. You are going to worship something. And he said, when you did not even know God, you did service. You served somebody. You know, some people, their family is their God. Some people, their family, oh, family calls and we drop everything and we go. I mean, don't, you know, I'm all sweet and kind, but you mess with my family and we go fight type thing. How much you know that's their God? That's their God. I've seen a lot of marriages come to an end because uh, husband and wife have children and the children become the God of the home. I've seen a lot of marriages break up because of that. Verse 9. But now, after that you have known God. Do you know God now? Yes. And then he goes, or rather are known of God. He said, you know God. He said, but more more importantly, God is aware of you. Now that God knows you, now that God has a relationship with you, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. This is one of the biggest problems in the American church today. It's one of the biggest problems. Somebody gets born again. Somebody gets a hold of God. Better yet, God gets a hold of them. And before long, they want to go back to the very things that God set them free from. I tell, our, I tell our people all the time, listen, you better get in the word, you better meditate, you better change your thinking, because when pressure comes, if you have not transformed your mind, when pressure comes, you will go back to what you knew. You will go back. And so a number one way you can spot us, you know, figure out, pinpoint where somebody is, when you can pinpoint their location, let them get squeezed. Let life squeeze them just a little bit. Do they push into God harder or do they pull back into the things of the flesh? Ninety plus percent of Christians will pull back into the flesh. And Paul, and this was a problem in Paul's day. Paul said, not only do you know God, but God knows you. You have a personal relationship with God and yet... You continually go back to weak things and beggarly things that lead you back into bondage. And he's like, and he, notice it ends with a question. He's going, like, I don't understand. Let me talk to you about these two definitions, weak and beggarly. Weak literally means weak, infirm, feeble, strengthless, or without strength. So more people, when they come under pressure, they go back to handling things that they, uh, the way they've always handled it. And 
more times than I can count, after they do that and they come crawling back to me because it's not working, I'll look at them and I'll go, what are you doing? Why are you behaving that way? And they'll say, I'm just, I, I guess I'm just weak. It's not that you're weak. It's that you're choosing the weak things of life. It's not that you are weak because if you're in Christ, there's no weakness in you. The problem is, is you don't want to sit down and do the work to learn new habits. That's what the problem is. He said, you'd rather go back to the weak things. You'd rather go back to the, uh, to the infirm things. You'd rather go back to the feeble things. You'd rather go back to the things that have no strength. Uh, how much do you know um, the ways of Satan? The only strength that Satan has is the strength that we give him. He is. You know, this morning, uh, this morning we pulled up to the hospital and um, we had to go around on kind of, we weren't going in the main entrance. We were going in a kind of a side back entrance. And uh, we turned, right before I turned on the on the road, I had to turn right onto the road, and as soon as I turned right on the road, that was where we pulled in to do the valet thing, and that's where the door was that we had to go in. Well, I was waiting to turn in, and here come a police officer with his blue lights. So obviously, I yielded for the officer, and the officer pulled in right where I was turning. And I thought, okay, well, that's cool. Um, and, and so I turned in right behind him, and I pulled into the little valet lane, and he stopped probably... I don't know, maybe out here in the parking lot far, I mean, not far at all. He stopped, and uh, we were getting out of the car, and here come, what, eight or ten more officers, and they all parked, like, right there. I mean, I could have thrown a rock and hit their cars. And uh, the valet guy's standing there, and, we're, and, and he, you know, have you, <laughs> it's like watching a bad car accident. Like, you know it's bad, like, you know, but you just can't look away. Like, you just can't look away. So the valet guy, and of course their valet people are all young, so he's standing there with his clipboard, and he's just staring at all these officer cars. And I'm, like, trying to get out of the car, and I'm trying to get direction. I'm trying to get Derek into the thing and everything. And this lady comes up, gets between me and him. She, and I'm not out of the car yet, and she leans on my window. She goes, there's an active shooter, there's an active shooter. And we were like, oh, hey, that's fun. And I just told her, I said, I, said, I guess we're getting out of the car right here, y'all. <laughs> and we got, we're getting out of the car, and I was like, so he, he just kind of rips this tag off, and he just hands it to me. He's still looking. He's like, and I'm like, do I need to take this with me? What, do I need to put this in the car? What do I need to do? And she's screaming about she's got to get her car and this and that and the other, and we're going, okay, this is fun. So I just looked at Mom and Derek, and I said, uh, let's get in the hospital. Let's, let's just get in the hospital. And they were like, oh, okay, so we're getting in the hospital, and and uh, I was going in, and they were like, you know, they had to, like the little stand, and there was a tree kind of across the way, and uh, just kind of up a little bit, and there were some little concrete walls. And, and uh, I just looked at them, and I said, well, as I was getting out of the car, I said, well, I just thank God that we have Jesus. Praise the Lord. It'll be all right. <laughs> what, what was that? I'm not going back to the weak and beggarly things, because weak and beggarly things would have said, okay, we're coming back another day, Derek. No surgery for you today. Time to go. Time. Why? Because fear would have gripped. No fear gripped me whatsoever. No fear gripped either one of them. Actually, a spirit of faith came on us. We said, we got Jesus. It'll be fine. And uh, so we're going. So we go into the door, and I turned around, and I don't even know why I said this other than just the confidence of the Holy Ghost. I just turned around to the people working the valet lot, and I said, hope y'all are good and practiced on your duck and cover. <laughs> and the one woman said, and the one lady said, I got me a treat.
tree picked out. <laughs> and I said, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. All right, so we go in the door, down the hall. We come around the corner. We go to go into the area, and I literally put my hand, I backed, let me back up. I put my hand on the hospital door to open the door to go in, and as I pulled the door, you heard the lock go click. And so when we went in, the door automatically locked behind us. And so, okay, so we're in the hallways. There's nothing in the hallways. There's no gurneys in the hallways. There's no chairs in the hallways. These are just wide open, empty hallways. And so we get to where, so we go, you know, go up this little thing, go down this little corridor, take a left to the other corridor. There's two glass doors. Everybody's in there. They're all like, and I go to open the door, and they're like, and we're like, I said, well, y'all, I don't know if this is the safest place to be or not because there ain't nowhere to cover, but we're at least in the hospital. <laughs> a couple minutes later, finally, the one gentleman came over. He said, we can let y'all in. I said, I really appreciate that. <laughs> and then I thought, you know, there ain't nothing but glass doors between us and y'all, but okay. <laughs> But here's, so we're sitting there, and we're laughing, and we're joking, and we're carrying on. I texted Pastor Mike. I said, we've arrived at the hospital, active shooter, prayers would be nice. He texted me back and said, no, he texted me back, and he said, praise God with smiley faces. And I went, because <laughs> I said, oh, that's what it was. I said, I said, uh, I have arrived at hospital. Uh, we're in the hospital, active shooter, send. And then I said, uh, we made it to surgical services. And he said, praise God, happy face, happy face. I said, did you read the message? He said, yeah. He said, doesn't matter what's going on. We praise God in the storm. We praise God in the shine. We praise God when we're on the top. We praise God when we're on the bottom. We praise God for this. We praise God for that. And I sit back. Yep. And we praise God when bullets are flying. <laughs> but that's what knowing what you have in Christ will do for you. That's what knowing what, 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 what you know, when you know... <laughs> have the spirit of god ain't nothing gonna happen you know we're good we're fine because literally the cop cars are all like right outside the wall that we're like there's there's all of them there's a wall there's us and michael said well maybe you were because i talked to him on the phone a little while later he said well maybe you know because the hospital's kind of big maybe you weren't right there at the epicenter i said honey i said i could have touched the officer's car with a rock very easily which he knows means they had to be close and I said, and I, I, we literally saw them jump out of their cars and grab their guns. And he was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Listen, that is not the time to go back to weak and beggarly things. That is not the time. And here's the deal. Uh, that is also not the time to decide, oh, guess what? I need Jesus right now. Oh, Jesus. Because if you need your faith ahead of the storm, ahead of the storm. You needed ahead of the storm. And these people were looking at us like we were crazy because we were giddy and we were having fun. I think they thought we were in shock. No, we were just high on the Holy Ghost. We were just having a great time. And uh, one lady just <laughs> but we just had a good time. Beggarly, beggarly, reduced to begging. Reduced to begging. 
How much do you know there are people that they're like, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored, all above and not beneath. I can't be denied. Everything I lay my hand to prospers. But financial pressure comes. And the next thing you know, they're beggars like like on the side of the street. They're calling everybody they know. Hey, can you can you uh can you pay can can you loan me twenty dollars? Can you do this till next Thursday? Can you do that? Hey, uh, you know, I said that that you know, I I bought that item for you, and I said that you could pay me back when you can. Uh, can you pay me now? That that beggarly behavior. See, um, Satan will turn you into a beggar. Religion will turn you into a beggar. But no, the love of Christ will not. So if you're having to beg, if you're having to ask for alms, in other words, if you're having to ask for handouts, you're leaning on the wrong thing. You're leaning on the wrong thing. Uh, it means to be, to be beggarly means you're destitute of wealth. If you're an heir of God and, God and God pays the streets of heaven with pure gold, um, do you think God has a finance problem? No. What the problem is, is you need to learn how to make your withdrawals. You need to learn how to, you need to have, you need to learn how to exercise your authority over Satan because it's not God withholding your money, it's Satan withholding your money. Do you know that actually, believe it or not, they, they actually know for a fact that there is enough, uh, oil and enough fine, uh, minerals and gems and stuff on the earth that every person on the planet can be a multi multi billionaire every person on the planet there's enough resources on the planet currently for every person on the planet to be a multi billionaire and yet we got people living on the streets why because they either either because they have rejected Christ or they've received Christ, but they've not learned who they are in Christ, and they've not learned how to pull down their provision. They've not learned how to exercise their authority. They've not learned how to command the angels to go get their prosperity and cause their prosperity to come. They've not learned the principle of sowing and reaping. They've not learned how to stop grumbling and complaining so that the thief doesn't have an opportunity to steal from you. They've not learned how to shut down the door. No, what they've learned how to do is be destitute of wealth. They're going back to the former things. It means to be destitute of wealth, destitute of influence. To be destitute means to be without influence, to be without influence. How much do you know it helps when you have influence? It helps when you have influence. There's a lot of places we go. Everywhere I go, I ask the Lord for favor. Father, give me favor amongst you and men. Everywhere I go. Father, I thank you when I get in the car, I have favor on the right away, on the roadways. Father, when I, when I go to the grocery store, Father, I thank you that I have favor with the prices. I thank you that I have favor with the store clerks. I thank you when I go, when I go shopping for clothes and stuff. Father, I thank you that I have favor with you and the very types of whatever I'm looking for, it's on the shelf, it's easy to find, it's at a good price. Influence, influence. We've gone to a lot of places and gotten great favor, great favor with a lot of different things. Um, we walk in here, down here to the Mexican restaurant, and they know immediately exactly who we want to serve us. Our waiter knows exactly what we want. We don't even have to look at the menu. 
We don't even have to. Sometimes we do just because it's something different. Uh, but, I mean, we just, they just have favor. I mean, we just do, you know. Uh, it's amazing. We went, <laughs> we can go to the Subaru dealership and, you know, we live two hours away, whatever. And I can, and, and uh, they'll be like, well, you know, if there's any way we can get you in and, and get your car finished today because you live out of state, you know, we really need you to stay. They'll, they'll, they'll uh, before we know it, they're like, you know what, just take the car. <laughs> Just take the car, and we'll take the car, and we'll be like, you know, do you need it back? In fact, one time we uh, they had our car, and um, we were on our way out of town, and we got the voice. Then they called us as we were going through Atlanta, and we said, honestly, we're on our way to Pensacola. We're going to be in Pensacola for a week. Is there any way that we cannot pick the car up for a week? They said, oh sure, not a problem. Take our car, go have vacation. We were like, wow, what is that? That's favor. That's favor. That's favor. That's what it, you know, uh, when you're destitute of influence, those things like that don't happen. Things like that don't happen. Destitute of position. In other words, uh, you, you just, you don't get positioned. You don't get, you know, you believe in, uh, if you're believing for, uh, for a promotion and you're back to serving the gods of old, you're going to be destitute of position. You're, and I was, I mean, I lived in the world for 12 years. And uh, I was very good at my job. I was excellent at my job. And, uh, I mean, excellent at my job. I'm not toot my own horn. I mean, I got lots of kudos all the time. But when promotion came, I never got the promotion. Never. In fact, not only did I not get the promotion, they'd give the, pro- they'd give the job to somebody that was absolutely clueless and expected me to train them. And that happened time and time and time and time again. Why? Because I was serving the God of this world instead of the God of the universe. And, uh, and he was eating my lunch. He was absolutely eating my lunch. So you don't want to be destitute of position. Um, you need to serve God, not, not the gods of this world. Uh, to be beggarly means to be destitute of honor. People won't honor you. Have you ever had a problem with people not giving you honor, not giving you respect, treating you like a doormat? That's how Satan behaves. And uh, when you serve him, people will treat you without honor and respect. And uh, it's amazing to me. When I lived in the world, uh, when I lived in the world, you know, people did not go out of their way to open the door for me. They didn't. They didn't. So much so that uh, the people that I hung around were like, we got an attitude about it. And this is very common. This is very, very common amongst worldly people. They'd get an attitude. (laughs) I'm... I don't need no man to hold the door for me. I don't need no favor or anything. Blah, 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 blah. You run their mouth like that, right? Oh, man, I come into the kingdom of God, and I start serving God, and people, people go out of their way to open the door for me. And I'm like, I'm like, that is so sweet. Thank you so much. People go, I mean, I'll be standing, literally, I'll be standing in the line at the convenience store, you know, and because I like to stop at the truck stops because, you know, it's just where it's safe, it's good, they're normally clean, things like that. So I like to stop at the truck stops. These guys are, if their trucks aren't moving, they're not getting paid. And I'm aware of that because I have a lot of family that are truck drivers. And so I'll, I'll very much so wait for them. And sure enough, before I know it, all of a sudden, two or three of them are turning around, and they're looking at me, and they go, go ahead. Why? Because there's the light of God. And, he, and, he's, and that light of God is causing them to give me honor. And I don't look at them and go, oh, I don't need your, 
I just say, well, thank you so much. That is so sweet. That is so kind. I appreciate your love. I appreciate your respect. That's so sweet. And then there's other times that I'll say, no, you got a job to do. Go get your job. Go, go t- handle it. Uh, but we return back to these things. Uh, to be beggarly means to be destitute of Christian virtues. Destitute of Christian virtues. There are certain virtues that Christians should have. Uh, Christians should not be haughty. In other words, full of pride. Christians should not be full of envy. Oh, why did you get the good car? Why did you get the good clothes? How come you got the promotion? No, Christians should say, man, I'm so happy for you that you got that promotion. I'm so, you know, I was telling Derek, you know, Derek's fixing to like, whew, he's going to shrink fast. I'm, I'm going to shrink quick with him, I believe, by faith, by faith. Um, but, you know, I was telling him, I said, I said, Derek, I ain't even going to lie. I said, here in a little while, you're going to be like, you know, deflated on, deflated balloon, just kicking it, you know, and I'm going to be like, oh, give me <laughs> What well, was trying to creep in? A little bit of envy. Trying, it was trying to creep in, and then I and I immediately checked it, and I said, "No, actually, Derek, I am so incredibly thrilled for you. In fact, being right here with you, being your partner through, like your your support person through this, I said honestly, it's really encouraging me. It's really encouraging me, you know. And and just to you know, and that's what you know. As Christians, we are to love people the way God loves us. God is not our personal slot machine. Can you write that down? So many people treat God like their personal slot machine. God, I need this bill paid. Ching. God, I want this new car. Ching. God, I want this situation right here. Ching. And they pull the lever every time. And they never, they never develop the character of God. No, we're supposed to develop the character of God. We are, supposed to, we are supposed to learn to believe the best. It doesn't mean we allow ourselves to be a doormat. Although sometimes it does mean you're a doormat. How much, I, we went through a situation just recently that I felt like the biggest doormat in the world. I did. I mean, I felt just so taken advantage of. I felt so down and out. And I told the Lord, I said, honestly, Lord, I said, I'm so upset about this situation. How long do I have to be a doormat? And you know what the Holy Ghost said to me? He said, as long as my son had to be, as long as my son has to be a doormat. How much, you know, Jesus is still, to some degree, being a doormat. Because people just use him and abuse him and take advantage of him, and he's still right there with the love of God. He's still right there willing to bail him out of the pits of hell, no matter how poorly they've treated him and his family. And I just said, okay, Lord. I found a scripture today from, from, uh, Paul that said, that said, I'm not telling you all the stuff we suffer to build myself up. He said, I'm telling you this stuff because uh, we go through it, but we love you anyways. I thought, man, that's a good scripture right there, Lord. I'm just summing it up. But destitute of Christian values. If you are destitute of Christian values, uh, then you are leaning on the, then you are serving the wrong God. Let me say that again. If you are destitute or if you are without Christian values, you are serving the wrong God. You are serving the wrong God. If you do not have eternal riches, what are eternal riches? Those are rewards in heaven that are stored up for when you get there. 
You don't have to enter heaven and have nothing more than a garment of salvation. You can go to heaven with a robe of righteousness. You can go to heaven with a soul winner's crown. You can go to heaven with jewels in your crown. You can go to heaven with the victor's crown. You know what a victor's crown is? A victor's crown is the crown that's awarded every time you conquer a situation. Every time you conquer the de- every time you conquer demons, every time you conquer a storm, every time you conquer something that's come up against you, you conquer it in the name of Christ. Christ goes, there's you a victor's crown. There's you a victor's crown. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have my, my, and you know, you can get there and get a mansion. I mean, if you want to live like, you know, on the outside of the walls of heaven or in the walls of heaven, you know, just that little apartment, you can. But, honey, I'm going for the mansion. Jesus went to build me a mansion. I'm going for the mansion. I'm going for the great big pile of reward and the teeny tiny little fire. Well, you're just being greedy. No, honey. I just want to bless my Lord with obtaining everything that he died for me to obtain for. I don't want to stand before Jesus and say, you did just barely enough to get me in the, in the gate. You not only did enough to get me in the gate, you did enough to give me all of this for all of eternity. No, 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 no. I want to build up my eternal riches. How's another way to build up your eternal riches with good works? How is another way to turn up, uh, to, to build up eternal riches? To be part of a body of believers. To be part of the local church. And not just come in, sit in your pew and leave. But actually to come in with a hunger that pulls on the anointing to come in with your supply of the spirit to pour out of you into somebody else to come in with the door going god i'm here to serve you babies need to be taken care of i'll take care of the babies toilets need to be clean i'll clean the toilets father you need an usher i'll usher you need somebody to catch lord you're gonna have to send me an angel to help me catch people but i'll do it i'll do it lord you want me on the praise team i will get on the praise team now, let me tell you something. Everybody wants to be on the praise team. Ooh, I want to be on the praise team. I want to be on the praise team. I can sing. Um, when you get up there on that praise team, you're going to come under such supernatural spiritual attack. It's not even ridiculous. I mean, it's just, I mean, it'll just, the number one way that a demon gets into church is through the praise team. And you want to know why? Because Satan was the god of music in heaven he knows how how music operates and people that are artistic people that are musical they get so puffed up with pride because it's my gift it's my talent it's my ability no it's not it's god's he gave it to you to glorify him he gave it to you not for you to stand on the platform with a spotlight and say look at me i just read a thing today i was so upset um don't know if you know this person, but there's, an, there's a singer by the name of Storm, and she's part of uh, Maverick City Music, and she was on a Delta flight, and she got word that she got nominated for two songs, big, big, big award things, and she got up on the plane and stood in the middle of the aisle and began to sing her song, and the flight attendant said, ma'am, I, you need to sit down. And she got ugly and irate with him and confronted him and would not sit down. And uh, eventually, um, she did finally sit down. I said, man, all you're doing is making a mockery of Jesus Christ. Because love never puts itself first. Love puts others first. Love 
never, never is about itself. If love was about itself, Jesus would have never gone to the cross. No, no. It's public information. That's why I can throw it out there like that. But no, no, no. You have to have Christian, Christian virtues. You, have, you need to build up eternal riches. Uh, um, to be beggarly means to be helpless and powerless to accomplish. Poor and needy. If you are helpless and powerless to accomplish the things that God has told you to do, then you are serving the wrong God. Then you're serving the wrong God. I know lots of people through the years and through my life that they had a desire in their heart. I believe God said the desire in their heart. They tried to do it in their own might and power and ability and while serving pagan gods, and they never accomplish it. Why? Because they're looking to the wrong thing. So this, you know, this is one verse, and it seems so simple, but Paul had a lot to say in this verse. He had a tremendous amount to say. He said, but now, after you have known God, and rather are known of God. Listen, once you have a relationship with God, you should never be destitute of anything. You should never be weak in anything. Now, does, it, does that mean that destitution, I mean, if you come into the body of Christ destitute and without, are you going to magically have it tomorrow? No, you're going to have to work to obtain. We've been doing this thing for 20-something years. We're just babies and uh, we're just now really learning how to really, truly obtain on a very consistent basis. This, so why? Because it takes time. It takes work. It takes study. He said, you observe. Check this out. He said, you observe days and months and times of year. What in the world does that mean? Zach, if you'll pass those two forms out. I just printed this for you just out of curiosity, just so you could know what some of these things are. Um, yeah, um, Jews actually have um, a ridiculous amount of holidays uh, that they celebrate every year. They celebrate every year. Uh, you know, we have New Year's Eve. They have uh, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. That's the beginning of the year. And uh, they sub the, the eve is one day, and then the, the first day of the year is a two-day festival. And uh, then they have um, Yom Kippur, and it's just so many of them. Let me get to my notes because I wrote them on a different sheet. Uh, I mean, they went through some of these. Um, I'm not going to go the same order, but this is just, I found this, and I thought, man, that's a nice little cheat sheet, so you can kind of have an idea of what some of these things are. But one of their holidays is Passover. Of course, that happens every year around Easter time. And their calendar is different than ours, so that's why the dates don't match up. They follow the moon. We follow the, the days and the months. Uh, but Passover is a seven-to-eight-day seven feast, and it marks the Jews' uh, exodus from Egypt. Passover is, you know, we know that that starts with, you know, they put the blood over the door and all of that. Rosh Hashanah, uh, or, or yeah, Rosh, Han, Rosh Hashanah, whatever, <laughs> is their Jewish New Year. Uh, Purim is a very joyous thing. Uh, it's a very joyous festival, and it's Karim, and that uh, Karim, calm. <laughs> Ah, <sighs> Karim, 
it recognizes, let's go that way, it recognizes the survival of the Jews uh, that were marked for death by Persia. This is, this is the festival um, about Esther. If you go read the, if you'll go read the account of Esther, and Esther intervened for a bunch of the Jews, well, uh, Purim is, they, that's what they celebrate in remembrance of all the Jews that were saved by that. Um, then there's the Sukkot, and that is another joyous celebration. It's the fall, and it celebrates the fall harvest, and it also commemorates 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 there's my word commemorates the 40 years in the desert they 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 do these every year every year yeah these are all remembrances these are all parties these are all things there's a whole list there there's pentecost um which is their thanksgiving for the first fruits of the wheat harvest but it's also a remembrance of uh, when the law was given. And, of course, the Sabbath is every week. It's a day of rest. There's just a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them. But here's the deal. They weren't doing them because they, they, the Jews no longer do these things out of a sense of celebration. They now do it out of a sense of religious duty. They now do it out of a sense of religious duty. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But they but see but the but the Jews still celebrate it today. They were still celebrating it in Paul's day. And Paul said, "What are you doing?" He said basically Paul was saying, "You're celebrating these days, these weeks, these months, and that time is gone. That time doesn't play, it doesn't play out anymore." In fact, what I want to show you so we understand that Passover uh, is the marking of when they left Exodus. We know that Passover is when they put the blood of the lambs on the post and then they left Egypt. Then they have, um, from Passover to, they have what is known as, uh, from, from the end of Passover, uh, they have what is called Shavuot. Shavuot is uh, 50 days after Passover. And that has to do with their time um, in the desert. It's 50 days, or that's their time of Thanksgiving. Uh, that has, and, and it goes on for 50 days. And then right on the heels of that is Pentecost. And Pentecost uh, was when they um, recognized, let me make sure I get this right, this is Pentecost was when they recognized that the law was given. So they come out of Egypt on Passover. They go through the 50 days of Shavuot, and then they do, and then they do Pentecost, which is the, and Pentecost represents when they were given the law from Moses, from God. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, we switched, God switched from us, from, moved us from following the law of God, man, that written law, to following the law of the Spirit. Fifty days after Jesus was resurrected. Fifty days after Jesus was resurrected. See, it's a type and a shadow. When you begin to see, when you begin to understand the festivals, and then you begin to say, well, wait, what, what, why, why, why are they remembering? And then what happened? 
So, you know, we get all excited on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. What, what was the big deal? That was when we began to live by the Spirit instead of by the law. By the law. Yes, Miss Stacy. Uh, it may not be on this one. It was on another one. Uh, this was just a good general observance. Um, I'll see if I can find one that actually has it for you. Because they've got, this is only just a tiny little piece of the of the um, festivals that they do. Yeah, it's, this, is just a, this is just a tiny little snippet of them. I was like, I think the actual list that I looked at had 17 different holidays that they do every single year. I'm like, oh my goodness. So here Paul is saying you observe days, months, times, and years. How much you know we observe days, months, times, and years? We do. We do. We, we observe. But here's the deal. God's not upset that we take a day off to celebrate our veterans. He's not upset that we take a day off to give thanks or spend with family. The problem is, is when you're religious about it and it's part of your worship. And he said, he said, he, so Paul said, listen, he said, you're now, and basically what Paul was saying here in verse 10 is he was saying, we're not under that anymore, but you are not coming out of your traditions. Guess what? When you become a brand new believer in Christ, there are some traditions that need to change. So my family uh, was, uh, my grandfather was in the military. They lived several years in Hawaii. In Hawaii, they have tikis, little tiki statues, big tiki statues, all kinds of tiki statues. And all these little tiki statues represent different gods that they worship. Well, we had little tikis around the house, different things like that. But the biggest thing that we had uh, in the house, in Granny's house, or we even had them in our house because Mom used to be in Hawaii. She was born in Hawaii. So she comes with her own mini hoonies. This is what we were raised with. She came with her own mini hoonies. Mini hoonies are, are um, little tikis or little spirits, they would say, little spirits. They were mischievous spirits that never did anything bad or they never did anything wrong. They just liked to play games and move your stuff around and sometimes cause things to not work exactly right. In my grandparents' kitchen, the overhead light, sometimes you'd flip the switch and it would work perfect. Other times you'd flip the switch and it would barely light. And then it'd be sitting there barely lit for a little while and then it'd start flickering and carrying on and then it would kick on. And this is what we always said. Oh, the mini hoonies are playing a game. What is that? It's familiar spirits. It's familiar spirits. It's tradition. It's familiar spirits. It's pagan worship. Oh, my goodness. What's wrong with us people? I don't know. We were untaught. We were uneducated. So when we learned about familiar spirits, when we learned about pagan gods, guess what got eradicated from our house? Our traditions of tiki's. That was that was that was that was hard. That was hard. Here was another really hard tradition. My grandmother was raised Catholic. 
I mean, we have a great Catholic story. My great-grandmother was a nun at the convent, and she was doing work in the community, and she met this wonderful man who fell head over heels with her instantly, and in the middle of the night, he came to the convent, and he told her, he said, I'm not going to leave the wall. I need to marry you. You sneak over the wall, we'll run away, we'll get married, we'll have children, it'll be a wonderful life. Guess what? My great-grandmother climbed over the wall, and poof, here we are. Here we are, right? So, so uh, you know, so my grandmother's raised Catholic. So she raises the family. So my grandmother had, and they traveled. So we had this little, it was one of two bookends. And it was a little monk. It had to be, he had to be a monk. He had the little cross on. He had the little hood on. He, had the, he was sitting there with a little book in the hand. And we're like, oh, this is the monk. He's reading the Bible. This is amazing. This is so cool. I played with that thing as a kid all the days of my life. When my grandmother moved in with me, here come the monk with me. I found out uh, those are not okay because there's, you know, things behind them. And uh, we immediately went, okay, that needs to go away. Uh, Another thing we... Pastor Mike grew up with, you know, fantasy. We had dragons everywhere. He was in Germany. He came home from Germany. What's famous in Germany? Beer steins. Beer steins. I love it. Beer steins. Great. Uh, there are some of the, There were some of those. There aren't any more. Uh, there were also trolls. Trolls. <laughs> and, and dragons. You know, Frankenstein's castle and dragons and all that. Oh, yeah, we had all that stuff. Guess what? Traditions had to change. Traditions had to break. And that's what Paul, when he says you observe days and months and times and years, when he said you go back to the beggarly things, he was talking about you go back to the worship of what you worship before you knew God. And he's basically calling them out and he's saying it's time to change it's really what paul is saying here and let me tell you this uh um i mean we had i mean our house when people come to visit you know everybody's like oh man your house is such a sweet atmosphere but when we got rid of those things because we didn't have a clue but when we got rid of those things and we got rid of them we did not yard sale them we did not take them to the we did not take them to the um thrift stores so that they could enter somebody else's house you know, was it heartbreaking because you could see how much money you could get? How much, you know, that's... <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We can do this. Um, you know, we, we disposed of it. We got rid of it. Why? Because I don't want to take somebody else into bondage. I don't want somebody else's... I don't want my familiar spirits moving into somebody else's house. I don't want to be accountable for that. So we got rid of it. And I mean, and as soon as we did, the the level of peace in our house came to an all new level. I mean, an all new level. It would not hurt you to ask the Lord this, Lord, what in my house do I need to get rid of? Because we started asking the Lord, and we started looking things, and and, and I mean, we'd just be sitting around just looking, and and you know, just 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 looking, because I mean, we just had knickknacks everywhere, and just looking, and all of a sudden something would pop out, and we'd go, I wonder what that is. And we'd have to, I was really, I was really worried at one point. You know, Pastor Michael was born in Turkey, and we have a really cute little Turkish tea set, and it's got real pretty engraving on it. And I looked at Mom, and I said, 
please tell me I don't have to get rid of my Turkish teapot. No, my Turkish teapot was good. I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I got to keep my Turkish teapot. <laughs> Because it's just real pretty. I just really like it. But there was a lot of stuff that had to leave. This is what he's talking of. He said, you observe days and months and times and years. He said, I am afraid of you. That is a horrible translation. He Really what it should say is, I am alarmed at you. I am alarmed at you. Paul said, listen, you're going back to, to serving what you served before you knew Christ. You're going back to the traditions of old. You're going back into, you're going back into Jewish law. You're going back into, into pagan worship. You're going back into these things that you've been delivered from. And I am alarmed for you. I am concerned for you. I am worried for you. He said, least have I bestowed upon you labor in vain. I get that verse. I get that statement right there because there are times that we talk and we teach and we talk and we teach and we talk and we teach. And then sure enough, somebody that we've been talking to and teaching and training and saying, come on, you got to make this adjustment. Come on, you got to make this thing. Come on, you got to move it. And they won't move and they won't move and they won't move. And then all of a sudden they're into bondage and they're in here crying, I'm in bondage and this isn't working and that's not working. And then we got to break it down and find out what they did. And we come to find out they went back to what they knew. Because they didn't do the work to renew. They didn't do the work to change. They didn't do the work to repent. Now we're having to clean up the mess again. And I'm like, I've been preaching to you for five years. I've been preaching on this. I've been preaching on, like, you know, they come to us, they come to us like, Pastor, please don't yell. Please don't have a breakdown. <laughs> but just... <laughs> But I need you to know, I know you thought we quit. I, I know you thought I quit, but I just need you to know that uh, I've been smoking again. I've been, I've been cussing again, or I've been drinking again, or, Pastor, I've been having sex again outside of marriage. And you're like, and I have asked this question. I have asked this question. Don't tell on yourself. I have asked this question. For the past X number of months, I have been preaching on that very subject. Did you think I was talking to somebody other than you? <laughs> Did you think I was talking to somebody other than you? And they go, well, I wasn't. I mean, I guess I just didn't think about it. I am afraid for you. <laughs> I am alarmed at you. I am laboring for no purpose because of you. That's what Paul was saying here. And then he goes, brethren, we'll throw other cistern in too. He said, I beseech you, be as I, be like me. Stop being like the world. Stop being your old self. Stop being the way you used to be. Be like I am. Change like I changed. That's what Paul is saying. He said, brethren, I beseech you, be as I. For I am, or for, for I as you. He said, listen, because I get this response. I, love, I, I, just, I won't choke anybody, I promise. But I get this response. I'll say, come on, you can do, why? Come, I, I, hello, you see me do it. And they go, oh, 
But you're Miss Robbie. Your pastor. You have a you have a connection to God. No. Yeah, God loves you more. Yeah, all these stupid can you tell who said these things to me? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, you know what the difference between me and you is? I've done the work, you haven't. <laughs> that's the only difference. And that's what Paul is saying. I've done the work. I'm just like you. I'm telling you to do the work. If you'll do the work, you'll have the same success I have. That's what Paul is saying. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying. Just do the work. Just do the work. He says, and then he goes on and he says, you have not injured me at all. Because they'll sit there when they come back. Pastor, I've been doing this. I've been doing that. And they'll sit there and they've got crocodile tears and snot blowing everywhere. And, and I'm like, and they'll sit there going, I'm sorry, hyperventilating. I'm so sorry. Pastor, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, dude, my life has not been affected. I'm still under the blessing. I'm not under the curse. <laughs> the only one you're hurting is yourself. <laughs> and that's what Paul said. Paul said, listen, I'm not injured. Am I frustrated that I've been preaching to you nonstop? Am I frustrated that I've been praying for you nonstop? Am I fearful that you're not going to make it? Am I, am I concerned? I shouldn't say fearful, but do I have a concern that you're going to shipwreck your faith? Of course I am. Of course I do. Um, and, and, you know, and that's when I have to go, God, I'm not carrying the care. God, here they are. <laughs> I'm going to package them up real pretty for you and just set them on your doorstep, and I'm not going to pick them up. And that's what Paul was saying. He said, listen, I am not injured. I am not injured. He said, you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first. Now, this scripture right here has caused a lot of people a lot of complex, and they've come up with all kinds of theories and ideas. But this was not the first time that Paul had been to Galatia. This is not the first letter that Paul had sent to Galatia. Paul is referring to the first time that he came to Galatia. The Bible does not tell us anywhere what the infirmity was. But obviously, if you go back to Corinthians and you read all the things that had happened to Paul, he had been shipwrecked. He had been whipped multiple times. He had been, he had been, they had boiled him in oil one time. I mean, he had been snake bit. He had, I mean, he, he just had all kinds of horrible things happen to him as, his, as a servant of Christ. And apparently, right after one of these experiences, he went to Galatia and preached. And he was obviously physically ill in his body. And he said, you, he said, you know how through infirmity, in other words, you know that last time I was here in the flesh, there was ailments in my body. Rather, rather he was recovering from being whipped or recovering from shipwrecked or maybe he had the flu and we, we don't know. We just know that he had some type of thing in his body that he was recovering from. He said, uh, you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first. Listen, a minister of the gospel, man, I used to, I used to just look at Pastor Tommy and, I mean, he'd come in and, I mean, he'd be, you know, kind of coughing or hacking or something, and he'd he'd get under the anointing, and not one time through the whole sermon he would cough. I mean, he'd just just preach. I mean, that man was dedicated. We never, we never had to ask, is there church today? Because he would not cancel service. He would not cancel. 
I mean, it was a rare thing. There had to be a couple of inches of snow on the ground for him to cancel service. Why? Because he said, people need it. The, the church is a hospital. People need it. And if I don't have to close the doors, I won't close the door. Pastor Mike and I run the church the same way. If we can be here, we will. Uh, we were doing youth ministry. I had uh, a, a fusion on my back on a Wednesday. On a Wednesday. Got released on Friday. Immediately left the hospital, went straight to the church, and did a Friday night youth service. Preached. Got up and preached. Then on Sunday morning... Uh, where I'm still using a walker and can barely move, you know, still trying to get things moving. Uh-uh. No, we ain't doing that. We went up to the altar. We took the walker. We set it aside, and we worshiped God. And a, few, a little bit later, the anointing fell, ran around the church, had a great time. It was wonderful. After the service was over, back to the walker we go. <laughs> now, why? Because he said, it doesn't matter what happens. Pastor Tommy had a stroke. He came in and preached in his bare feet. Y'all remember? Some of y'all remember that. Came in and pre- preached in his socks because he couldn't get his shoes on and still walk around. Uh, then he got, but then he got 110% recovery from his stroke. I could, you couldn't tell even he had ever had one. Why? Because of faith. And uh, you, well, that's because you're a minister. No, you can get that same tenacity. You can get that same tenacity. In fact, there were years. There were, I mean, before I was ever in the ministry, uh, I said this. I said, Lord. You said the heel don't stay in the bed. I'll just go to church. And I'd walk through the door, and I'd say, I'm resisting. You stay over there. I'm going to stay over here. I'm not going to give you anything, but I'm resisting, but I'm not going to be denied the word. God will honor that type of behavior. God will honor that type of behavior. He said, he said uh, verse 13, You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first, and my temptation which was in my flesh you despise not. What was the temptation? The sickness. When sickness comes on you, I don't care what the sickness is. When sickness comes on you, you are tempted to reject God. You are tempted to throw up your hands and say, you know what? This word thing doesn't work. You are tempted to say, well, bless God, if you can't keep sickness off me, then I guess you're not a God at all. These, these, these temptations come. Doesn't mean you have to take them, but a lot of people do. How much you know? It's a temptation when sickness comes. Instead of saying, well, let me do, I've been believing for my healing, but my healing hasn't showed up, so let me do a self-examination and find out where I'm missing it. Instead of doing that, people will fall for the temptation to say, well, it's just not God's will to heal me. That's a temptation. Well, I guess it's just not God's will. Most people don't get their miracles because they quit right before their miracle comes through. Most people quit before them, right before their miracle comes through. He said, And my temptation which was in my flesh you despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel or a messenger of God, even as Christ Jesus. He said, he came into that church and he looked at that church and he said, Church, or he got word about this church and in this letter he says, Church, what has happened to you? What happened to you? When I was here last time, despite my physical situation, despite the fact that I was probably a little discouraged, a little grumpy, a little on the road, I probably was a little rough around the edges because I was being tempted to reject God, but yet you received me as if I was Jesus Christ himself. 
And he said, and now here they are. He's getting word that they're going back to to, to doing the holidays and doing circumcisions and and eating only certain types of meat. I mean, he's getting these reports that they're going back into pagan worship and all this different stuff. The heathens were that had received Christ. And he said, "Hello, what has happened with you?" He said, where is then the blessedness you speak of? Or better yet, he said, uh, what's happened? What happened? He said, last time we were here, you were talking about, last time I was with you, you were talking about how awesome God is and how wonderful God is and how great God is. And now you're over here serving and acting like you used to before you ever met Christ. What happened? He's, he's making an inquiry, and I'm making an inquiry of you. If you are not serving God like you once did, what happened? What happened? What did you allow to transpire to cause you to back to backpedal back to what you originally knew? He said, he said, for I bear you record that if it had been possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. So now we get a little hint that that possibly whatever was bothering him had something to do with his eyes because he said, you showed me such love. You showed me such compassion. You showed me the character of God to such an extreme that if you could have plucked out your own body parts and given them to me to make me better, you would have. And now... You're backbiting and you're fussing and you're striving and you're back into sin and you're back into the things that just, it's like you, didn't, it's like you never met Christ before. He's, and so he's going, what, 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 what has happened? He's, he, I mean, he's making some serious inquiries here. And uh, he said, verse 16, he said, I am therefore become your enemy. Because I tell you the truth. So he's calling them out and they don't like it. He's calling them out and they don't like it. This happens in the church. The pastor gets under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the pastor starts to correct some things and the pastor starts to, to address some things and starts to kind of correct some things and all of a sudden the congregation's offended at the pastor. All of a sudden, oh, that pastor, he's just preaching out of head knowledge. Oh, that pastor's just, that, that pastor's just, he's just so righteous. He just thinks he can control us and tell us what we all want to do, 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 do. No. If that's a Holy Ghost, listen, if you know your pastor hears from heaven, and if you know your pastor speaks by the Holy Ghost, and that pastor is preaching some things and correcting some things in your life, do not become the enemy of your pastor. Your pastor is calling you out and correcting you because they love you with the love of God. And a lot of times, the pastor doesn't even know who, I mean, I might be, you know, I, speaking from, a, from my Holy Ghost position, I might walk over towards somebody and begin to speak to them, but I don't have any clue if it has to do with them or not. I might walk this way, and it might be because this person over here is getting convicted, and the Holy Ghost is like, ease up on them. Like, speak to them, but don't let them know that I'm talking to you. You know, you just, and then again, there's times that the Holy Ghost will get right on top of you and just say, uh, let's have a conversation. And he said, this is your response. Uh, therefore, I become your enemy because I tell you the truth. How much, you know, most people hate Jesus because Jesus tells them the truth. 
Most people hate Jesus because Jesus tells them the truth and they can't handle it. He says, they zealously affect you. This zealously means to go after with a passion. This zealous means that you are, that they are going after you um, with kind of this, this fire. This, they're, they're definitely coming. So zeal is not a bad thing. He said they zealously, zealously affect you not well, not well. See, people will, and, I, and I've watched people do this. I've watched people come into the church who are trying to live under the law, and they come into the church, and somebody will say something in their freedom and their liberty in Christ, but, but that person is a little baby. They don't know. They're a baby. And that person who's trying to get them to go under the law will act all high and mighty and hoity and be like, oh, well, we don't do da-da-da-da-da because the law, da-da-da-da-da. And then the little baby is sitting there going, well, am I doing something wrong? Did I do something wrong? And before you know it, they're persuaded to go under the law. And it's like, no, don't do that. No, 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 no. Learn what the word says and live according to the word. Listen, don't, people have all kinds of ridiculous ideas that don't agree with the scripture. If they come to you and they say, oh, you've got to do this, look at them and say, can you show that, me, show that to me in the scripture so I can study it out? Because a lot of times they don't even know. All they know is Aunt Susie told Uncle Fred who told Billy Bob, and Billy Bob told you um, that you need to act this way because Aunt Susie wants you to act that way. And they'll say, and it says in the book of Susie. They don't even know that the book of Susie isn't even a book. No, find out where it's at in the book. Make sure that it's not something that has passed away or that has been fulfilled. He says, they zealously affect you not well, not well. People will convince you to do things uh, that is not right for you. If uh, people can get you to drop your Christian morals and your Christian values, they will, including other Christians, including other Christians. Yep, he says, yay, they would exclude you that you might affect them. He basically said, listen to me, these religious people, if they can't get you to come in line with them, then they're going to push you aside and make you feel like you don't fit. If somebody is being, if somebody's trying to get you into bondage, let them push you aside. Let them, let them push you aside. Why? Because you don't need their their false gods ruling and reigning in your life. He said, but it, we're going to finish here in just another verse or two. He said, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. Let me read it without the italicized words. But good to be zealously affected always in good. If somebody is pulling you to the things of God, that's somebody you want to get around. That's somebody you want to hang around. That's somebody that you want to spend some time with. If they're pulling you constantly to God, you know, I don't understand why these young people come hang out with me and Pastor Mike all the time because they get corrected constantly, constantly. And, and they even say, why do I spend time with you? Why? Because we're zealously affecting them in the good zealously affecting them in the good. 
everywhere you know you know the world want the world wants to the world wants you to believe that nobody wants boundaries that nobody wants borders that nobody wants fences that nobody wants the truth and that is so far from the truth no we want to be corrected we want truth and that's why they just they're just like you know they're just they just gravitate to us because i look at them some days and i think why are you here because you know all you're going to get is corrected the whole time you're here like what's wrong with you but no, they do come and, 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 you know, we help them and we try to help them understand why you need to do things. But sometimes when God tells you to do something, you're going to have to get past the why. I'm going to take a little rabbit trail. I know we're on time, but I'm going to take this rabbit trail. God never gives his whole picture. If God told you every step and everything, you would require no faith. You're going to have to learn that just that that some things are simply because God said so. Because God said so. God, why youth minister? Because I said so. Seriously. God, we're living in Charlotte. Why is our church in Murphy, North Carolina? Because I said so. Actually, it was because I never told you to move to Charlotte in the first place. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, God, uh, why this job? You know, why this task? Oh, my gosh. When the Lord said, I need you to start helping in children's church. <sighs> the little babies. Oh, give me a brand new baby. Love the babies. Ooh, love the babies. The babies are great. The babies get to about, you know, a year and three quarters. You know, they start to kind of get those terrible twos. And Pastor Robbie don't put up with no nonsense. So then they don't like me and they hide. I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. So they get past their terrible twos and kind of into the threes. They get about three and a half, four, and they're like, oh, my child, my child, my child. oh, we love you, love you, love you. Uh-huh. They get to about five or six, you know, that children's church age where they need help with everything, but they want to do everything by themselves. And, and, and they ask a gazillion questions, and they want the answers, but they can't understand the answers, and they never stop talking, and you can't be sarcastic with them because they will cry. Not my age group. Not my age group. From like 6 to like 11. That makes me so tired. And God said, go into children's church. You know what age is children's church? 6 to 11. 6 to 11. Every week you're going to be in children's church teaching the children. That's how we found out. That's how we messed up the whole Easter bunnies and Easter eggs thing from earlier in the sermon. Because I was in children's church and they wanted to know. And Miss Robbie always tells us the truth. Okay. Any case. Um, <laughs> listen. There are so, so how much you know when God said go to children's church? I said, why? He said, because I said so. Because I said so. Because I said so. You've got to get to the place where when God says, okay. When God says, because I said so, the answer is yes, yes and amen. Thank you. Yep, yes and amen. And you know what? And the devil's going to come along and the devil's going to say, but why does he want you there? Well, I don't know why God wants me there. I mean, I don't do this well and I don't do that well. And da, 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 da. And before you know it, you'll talk yourself out of what God told you to do. No, when, God, when you know that you know that you know that you know that you know what God has told you to do, the answer is yes and amen. And when the devil comes and says, but why? You say, Satan, it don't matter. Why does it not matter? Because God said so. Why? 
because that's all the Bible tells me. Uh, let all the answers to God be yes and amen. So I'm just like God. So he said to go. So I go, and that's the answer. I do, and I do. God said stay. I stay. You learn how to be smarter than the devil. Let's finish this last verse up, or last two verses up. He said, but it is good to be zealously affected in good things, and not, look at this, and not only when I am present with you. I could preach for an hour on that one. Hey, Jai, are you the same? Let me ask you a question. If you are, no, are you the same when your pastor's present when they're not? Should be. You should be. If, you're not, if you are not exactly the same when your pastor is present, then when your pastor is not present, you need to work on your Christian character. Plain and simple. <clears throat> because here's the deal. Jesus is always present. And you need to live your life like Jesus is standing right beside you because he's actually standing right inside you. You take him, you go to the, you go to the rated R movie, he's going with you. I mean, he's turning in his eyes and he's plugging his ears, but he's in that theater with you. You get on the TV, you get, you, you turn on the porn at night and Jesus is turning his face and closing his ears, but he's right there with you. Yeah, he's the great shepherd. He sees everything. He knows everything. He knows it all. You say, oh, I get a little tipsy. Guess who's getting tipsy on the inside with you? Come on. Come on. Come on. He said, you need to be the same whether I'm with you or, with, or, with not, or not with you. My little children of whom I travail and birth again until Christ be formed in you. Look at this. He said, he said this about the church of Galatia. He said, Galatia. I've already labored. I've already gone through the birthing pains of physical labor to bring you into Christ. But you have gone back to the point that it's like you've never met him. And now I have to labor all over for you again, praying and drawing you back again. He said, he said, I've already birthed you once. And now I have to birth you again. Listen. I get tired of having to birth the same people over and over and over and over and over and over. Will you please begin to grow up? That's what Paul was saying. And I agree with him. I agree with him. Come on. This is, this is Paul compelling us to, be, to let Christ be formed in us. He said, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice. For I stand in doubt of you. He said, actually, I stand perplexed of you. Right now, Paul is being very nice. Paul is writing a very nice letter. He said, but I'm going to tell you right now. He said, he said, I'm writing a very sweet, I'm being very gentle, I'm being very kind. He said, but truth be told, if I could come to Galatia and get in front of you right now, he said, my voice, my very voice, the very words that I'm using would change dramatically. How much do you know it's hard to yell in a letter? It's hard to, I mean, you can make the big capital letters, and, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't come across the same. And so Paul said, I desire that I could come to you with a different voice. What was the different voice? He wanted to rebuke. He wanted to reprove. He wanted to correct sharply. 
The way we would say it in the South is he wanted to yell at you and have a come to Jesus meeting with you. That's what he wanted. He wanted to get loud. He wanted to grab your attention. He wanted the Holy Ghost power where the lightning comes out of his eyes. And you knew you were being corrected. That was the desire that he had because of how they were behaving was so dangerous. Because it was so dangerous. So glory to God. We'll stop right here. And uh, how much you know? You don't want to be that Galatian. You don't want to be that one that Paul has to say, do I have to birth you again? I'm going to have to birth you again. You know, Jesus preached, born of the flesh, born of the water. But Paul's over here going, I've got to birth you in the spirit repeatedly because you're not getting there. Because you're not getting there. Well, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. I assume because Pastor Mike walked in the door that uh, things are starting to improve at the office. (laughs) Yay! Glory to God. No. No. Zach, come on, honey. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, I can tell. His eyes are are fading fast. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Father, we just love you. We honor you. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you. It's an honor and a privilege to call. Oh, just an honor to get to hear and hear your teaching, hear the heart of Paul, Father God, hear the heart of heaven. Father, if we are those problem people that need to be rebirthed again in the spirit, Father, help us to make the corrections. Help us to make the adjustments. Help us to begin to walk as the children of God and not the servants of false gods. And, Father, we just give you honor, glory, and praise. Satan, take your grubby hands off. The increase angels, go get it and cause increase in every area of life to come according to the riches and power of Christ Jesus, uh, of God in Christ Jesus. And, Father, we give you the glory, honor, and praise. Amen and amen. You can serve the people. Thank you, Jesus. You know, sometimes you can pray it fast and sometimes you pray.